The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Family Matters with your host, Dr. Virginia Collin. In this program, we will explore some of the challenges families face and the solutions they create in today's world, where marriage, parenting, and family forms are not what they once were. Now, here is Dr. Virginia Collin. Welcome to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. The guest I expected to be introducing you to to today is Victoria Green. Unfortunately, Victoria has the flu. So her daughter, Shantae Love, is my guest for today. Both Victoria and Shantae are co-founders of the Amir Healing Center in Philadelphia. And uh, what else should I tell you about it? Oh, you can find them online at Amir, E-M-I-R, Philly, P-H-I-L-L-Y, dot org. So Amir, Philly, dot org. So, Shantae, you and I have not met. It's nice to meet you on the radio. It's great. It's Even great. though we, I know you were expecting Victoria, my mother, uh-huh. I, I could never do as well as her, but I'm going to try, to try to live up a little bit. Well, I really appreciate your stepping in on such short notice, and I'm sorry your mom is sick. Uh, I hope she feels much better really, really I, soon. I, I as well. Thank you for saying that. Yeah. Well, I happen to know that there is a painful story behind the creation of the Amir Healing Center. Mm -hmm. There's a reason why you and your mom started this center, Mm -hmm. and it starts with your brother, Amir. Yes. I'd like to invite you to tell that story. No problem. First, um... To the listeners, I want to let you know that Emir Green was my only brother, and he was the middle child of five. And he, in March 26, I will say exactly two days after my twin sister's birthdays, he was gunned down. He was shot in the back seven times, and he was murdered um, right around the corner from where we where we grew up at. Wow. Yes. Um, when I think about his, uh, his, his, the murder itself, so Emir, it was his name, but our agency stands for Every Murder is Real. And so um, that tragedy, which I call people, what I tell people is that madness, that madness turned into a mission that turned into a ministry or a ministry that developed into a mission. And so it's wrapped around that tragedy that so many families, especially in Philadelphia, that um, are faced with that particular, what I consider craziness, that inhumane, the barbaric act of murder, that they find themselves 
um, in a not in a in an unhealthy place, and and that's where we step in. I see. And so um, when I I think about the murder, when I think about my brother, um, and I think about the person he was to me, and like many siblings, um, he was my only brother, and he was funny. He was an artist. He drew. Um, he had a lot of hopes and dreams, like most young people growing up, and we talked about what will we be. Mm-hmm. And so when that life is taken and it changes, so you have the whole dynamics change. Now, I, I'll tell you from a sibling point of view is that um, for siblings, it changed for us because he was the middle child and it was five of us, and so that odd number became an even number. And so even though, even our positions as uh, to each other changed. So um, those who were the oldest and the youngest, I being the firstborn and the oldest, also had some, um, I experienced a lot of the grief and the pain because he was no longer there. And the things that we had hoped to do together would stop. Grief happens differently for different people. Some people, for some people, there's a lot of anger. For some people, they just go into shock and nothing seems real for quite a while. Okay. For some people, there's a deep depression that sets in. How was it for you and your mom and your siblings? Was it different for each one of you or were wow. you in it together? Well, it was different for each one of us, but we experienced a lot of the same thing at different times. So um, I think we went through the shock part of the, this story, this can't be real, and trying to wake up from a dream to realizing that this really happened and to actually the, um, the anchor part of just making meals and having dinner together, that the place, the, that set place setting would, we no longer had to put there. But we did it for a while until we could grasp that he just wasn't coming in the door. So... Um, I went through anger, I went through the, uh, sadness, went through depression. Um, sometimes the rage could be so strong that you could feel homicidal where you could kill, as well as you feel like you're suicidal where you want to take yourself. You just don't want to be here anymore. And I think that all of us went through portions of that and at different parts of our life. Now, for me, um, because I was the oldest, I went straight into that role as the oldest child, so my grief was delayed. I was still looking around the family, making sure everyone was okay. What do, um, do you need this? Do you need that? And still in that mode, and then I crashed. And so, and then I went through the depression, and I went through the, um, uh, the anger, and I went through not wanting to be here. Um, I've never felt like taking my life, but I did feel like I didn't want to live. And that's a little bit different. It is, yes. Yeah, and so that happened for not only the family, what I could, we consider um, the nucleus family, also for those support family members that are part of that person's life. And so it's really at, you know, when you think of, when you think of a normal, what I consider a normal death, someone who gets old or gets sick, and if you just imagine a funeral and just rewind your mind and say, okay, everyone at that funeral was impacted by this person's dying, 
But when it's a murder, there's no preparation. So it's almost like a ripping out of your community. So we rip this person out and then hope that you can still exist. It takes work to do that. And it takes a lot of work, especially in urban cities who already have a lot of stressors that they still, you know, and also have a lot of disparities happening that they still have to figure out a way to cope. And um, especially for African-American communities who sometimes therapy is not, that's a word that, you know, we shy away from and that when you just, you're afraid to get help because you don't want to be labeled. Those, all those type of things happen for families. It happens for our family. Um, and so when we walk through and look at what happened with all of us, and what we did was we looked at what happens, and we looked at um, our coping mechanisms. Some of us started drinking. Some of us started overeating. I can tell you I gained a lot of weight during that period. And then when we sat back and looked at, okay, now we have to go through the trial because now this person who was my brother's friend, they were friends. This, this same guy who had been in our house, ate food with us, um, did this horrible thing. Then how do you get through it? And so um, we looked at all the things that we did as a family and looked at the pitfalls that a family does and looked at the things that didn't go well, and we said, we got to do something. Because every when we were at our support groups, we were looking at every, every week there was more and more families. It's like every day in Philadelphia somebody's murdered. Like every day? Is that true? Yeah, that's true. Is it true. really that often? It's that often. So we've been very fortunate. I think maybe we might be short of uh, maybe by 10 for the year of people that, so we might not have got every day, but we might be 10 days shy, shy a day. Well, that, that's, that's really frightening. That's heartbreaking. Unbelievable. Unbelievable. And so we looked at this madness and looked at all of this that happens in families, especially in Philadelphia where um, homicide is a scary thing for, for people to talk about. People, we, we even witnessed people like, okay, well, you know, someone was murdered in their family, so they shied away from you like it was a contagious disease. Like if you get too close to them and then you have some people um, in the faith community would say, well, God knows what's best, God. Um, God. <laughs> and so we would say things like, well, then switch places, <laughs> you know. Or we'll say something like, okay, so I remember someone said that to me. I said, so wow, the God you serve, well, they, they're okay with someone being shot in the back seven times and their body all on the ground. Wow, what God you serving? And so... um all of those things is what families look at and witness and do and see, and even to even to preparing for the funeral. Um, it's never been it's never been okay for parents to funeralize their child. It, we weren't built like that, but to do it knowing that it was an intentional death, that they were targeted to be killed. 
and then now you're putting, now you're making preparations. Unbelievable that, you know, we see this every day, all the time. And I can't imagine how hard that must be. I just, I can't imagine. And, and, and I think that when we look at, um, when we decided that, you know what, we have to do something. We decided we had to do something and that we couldn't just see these people as support groups and walk around the communities, um, parents in a zombie state of mind, uh, dads, a lot of people don't talk about the fathers a lot, um, dads realizing that their legacy has they just buried, like that they won't have grandchildren, they won't um, go to their son's wedding, um, they won't go there when he buys his first house or um, when he's looking to buy a car. Like those, those moments that a dad has with their son, and when their father realizes that this has ended with my son, and that piece there is the pain for them is just as deep and just as hard because they feel like they lost. They didn't save and they didn't save their sons. And where did they go wrong? And why didn't they protect them enough? And so you get to see those families of mothers and fathers and siblings like us who try to put the pieces together. And then you have, and you have some of them like ourselves who said, we need, we've put the pieces together and now we have to do it for other people. Was that actually part of the healing process for your family, taking on this ministry? No. The healing um, happened first. The healing happened first, and you'll see that um, because we, we've always believed that you had to go through the healing process so that you can help others, that even families that come through our doors that want to do some type of advocacy work or they need to do something in honor of, is that we really stress let you heal some as much as you can before you tackle that. Because just like us, there are going to be people wanting, um, wanting you to show them how or saying, listen, help me along. And you can't allow that. That could be very, 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 very large amount of work, and it could also set a person back. And so we've had to heal first, and then we looked at what we were doing, and we looked at, the things that went wrong, and we looked at the gaps, and we looked at also the, the, the racial disparity part that, you know, homicide in Philadelphia is mostly African-American men. Um, there um, is black-on-black on, black on black crime and black-on-black black violence, and um, looking at a race of people who is being impacted by racism and they're hurting so bad that they're hurting one another. And so, no, we had to heal first. Yes. And then we, um, we, then we started looking at, look, we need to do something. So I tell people our madness turned into mission and ministry, you know, ministry and mission. Either way, it, that, but we had to heal before we did that. What and, did help the members of your family to heal? We, you know, we went to we we went to support groups. Mm-hmm. Um, we decided it was a conscious decision to say I have to live after this. It was it was actually saying 
um, this person that took his life is not going to take mine. And so um, we went to get some help. We went to some professionals and some that went well and some that, you know, didn't do that great. <laughs> that And um, we looked at those pieces and those components and we did some research. We talked to other families and we said, okay, this is what we needed. This is what families needed. And so how can we put that into an agency? And when you walk into our center, I call it a, it's a safe place. It's an old historic house that's created where people come and they begin their healing process. And the, the wonderful things that happen that our team does, as well as our volunteers, as we wrap our arms around these families and wrapping our arms around them, guide them through their grieving period, their, their journey, knowing that they're the expert in their pain, but I can give you some tools to help you navigate it. Because I can't tell you how bad you should feel, and I can't tell you how you feel because you're the expert in that. But I can give you some things to help you go through this journey and so that you can see some light, even though it seems hopeless, you don't want to go forward, and that you just don't know what today is. What kinds of tools can you offer to people to help them through whatever kind of grieving they are experiencing? Well, I'll tell you about one of our um, one of our tools that we use is what we call healing circles. And so, healing circles um, is a, a portion of our grief support that families come and. They act, we walk them through their person's life. Let's walk through their life. Let's walk through your loved one's death. And then let's talk about where you, where, what emotions are you feeling? And can I give you some concrete and practical things to do so that you can go through it? So we do a lot of talking. We do a lot of poetry writing. Um, you'll see we'll do activities. Of, we do physical activities. Each group has an assignment where we we bond during that group period and then we do different activities so that during the week a family knows how to support one another and then also as well as to support themselves. And we do a lot of creative work. So in our children's group, you'll see them doing a lot of artwork, art therapy, um, music. All those things um, are very important. But what's different is that we look at the family dynamics and we look at what makes them tick. We look at their support system and we use those pieces and add to it. So it's very, in some sense, it's very individualized for each family. And in another sense, there are a lot of tools that can be useful to most families. Yes. And that's what's what's good about it because um, people are different. And in a society that's very diverse, we need to be able to respect that and be able to understand that. And so um, we first, I'll tell you one of the first things we teach a family how to do is how to have a meal again together. And we do that actually here at the center. So when you come here, the whole family and all the families, we eat together. Um, Because that process of of a mealtime is very important for families. And if it stops or ceases, that's where a lot of um, 
children that's going through things parents aren't recognizing, and how do you start to re-engage with each other? And so when you come here, you um, you get a meal, we sit around the table, we talk, um, we laugh, and then we go into our separate support groups, and um, they get to go through their grieving process. And okay. another thing that we do that I that I like is our our youth our youth piece, which we call is our We Live Project. The We Live Project is based up of young people who lost parents. So they do different activities, not only advocacy work, but they do different activities to connect with mentors and also to combat them those lonely times, like the Christmas. Christmas time. Okay, you- let's let's come back and talk about some of the programs and talk about the community a little more. Right now, we need to go to break. No problem. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's A-P-F-M-N-E-T dot org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. 472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. Today, I'm talking with Shantae Love, who is the co-founder and the program director 
at the Amir Healing Center in Philadelphia. You can find them online at amirphilly.org. That's E-M-I-R for Every Murder is Real, philly.org. Shante, we've been talking about your brother, Amir, who was shot in the back seven times by a person who had previously been his friend. Yes. I think probably the listeners are wondering, why? What, what happened? Why would one friend shoot another? Well, a lot of people don't know, um, and I'm glad to share, is that Emir was shot because his um, friend, Steve Holliday, who was doing life, uh, said that Emir stole from him, that Emir was selling drugs for him, and he needed to teach him a lesson. And so um, he's never... Hello? Yes, Okay. He never. I couldn't hear you. He never admitted to it, of course, but that's what... Um, the police department has said is that this is why he was murdered, because of a lifestyle that Emir was living in, that he was selling drugs for Steve Holiday. Does and your family believe that? I, I believe it. I do. I believe, I believe that that's what happened. I do okay. believe it. And um, it, it hurts every time I see, we see families who who experienced that part um, because it's almost as if um, we failed. Like what made him start selling drugs? He needed money, um, hard to get a job. And so, um, yes, I, I believe that. Right. I do believe that. Yeah. Does it, uh, does it, that happens a lot in, in Philadelphia. That happens more often than people say, and that what what makes one of the reasons why we say every murder is real is that regardless of the circumstances, um, that pain is still real to that family, and so you have the the society racism that says you know well. Uh, eye for eye, tooth for tooth, you know, you live by the sword and you die by the sword. And you have people who say, well, what did you expect? You didn't know. No, you didn't know. Um, like a lot of families don't. That That's a part of their lives that they never, we never knew about. Um, that a lot of families don't know about. Yeah. I've talked with your mom, Victoria Green, about this some, and one of the things that she mentions is the environment of racism, the external racism that comes at you from the society, and then the racism that gets internalized and affects how you feel about yourself and what value you do or don't put on the life of another person who looks like you. And if well, she, she yeah. talks a lot about how these things happen because there is so little support for young people's hopes and dreams and desires. You know, why are you selling drugs? Because you can't get a job. Well, you will see that, in, um, especially urban communities and black communities, is that 
they don't, um, the ideal of you being successful or the I, or you having that chance is very, very hard to believe and it's hard to obtain. And because not only does society is not set up that you don't have a, if you don't have a job, you can't support yourself. If you don't have a good education, you can't get a good job. Um, especially here, if you have a certain amount of criminal background, it's hard to get education. And just living every day, every day as a young black person, a young black youth, every single day you're a target. And so when you see violence all the time, you're a target not to um, be accepted. You don't get to see uh, people obtain um, success. Then you, you no longer see hopes and dreams as possibilities that you're just living for today because, you know, we did a workshop with a, uh, with, uh, a high school and one of the students said, you know, it's not here. We're not worried about um, the shooting. We just know, we're just worried about which one is going to be next because, see, we, we're going to get killed. And so if you're in high school in one of the top high schools and you're thinking that, that the world has beat you up that bad, then you don't have any hopes or dreams. It's not, it, it can't happen. You're just living for today. If I could survive today, then I can maybe worry about tomorrow. Hopefully I don't get beat up. I don't get shot at. Um, maybe if I go for this, this, even if it's a small job, can I get accepted um, when society looks at us as, as not being valuable? especially for young black boys who um, are there, they're already labeled as aggressive, angry, um, non-productive. They walk around with that. And so, no, you, you have a people that are hope, that feel hopeless, that they can't make change. And if they're even in school feeling like that, and you can imagine those who have not obtained at least a high school diploma. Does that kind of answer some of your questions? It does. And, of course, it raises additional questions. Please. Because ask, once ask. you know that, that we have a whole huge group of people who are born with all the possibilities and all the capabilities, all the intelligence and the artistic talent and the capacity to love, they're born that way and they grow up in an environment that stifles that in them, that turns them into people who think, nobody cares about me, I have no life. So it doesn't matter if I deal drugs or do drugs or hang around with people who are violent. How do we break that cycle? How do we change the world so that the little black boys next year or 10 years from now won't have to grow up that way? Well, I tell people we, we have to invest in the spirit of the human being. How do you do that? And so those who have, um, who have recognized this, um, we can work against that. Um, we can require that um, that the racial
racial injustices that occur, that they become just. Um, and even in our everyday life is that when you see some things, like I see the guys that's on the corner, and every last one of them I look at and I say, now where do we go wrong as a people? And I don't walk past them as if I'm scared. I always say, hey, how are you? What can I, what can I do for you today? What, what's going on? And sometimes a basic conversation to see where they're at or to find out what's, what, what has happened to you. And if we start asking and looking at what has happened to these people instead of saying what's wrong with these people, then maybe we can unravel some of the things that we missed as a society. We didn't love enough. We stopped, we stopped loving. We didn't value the things that all cultures value. We decided as a society to pick and choose. We still as a society is not equal in the one common thing that we should be, and that's love. That's and a really good answer. I had no idea what you would say. You, listen, I didn't know you were going to ask me that, but you did. That's a great answer. You did. And, but we, we missed the boat. We messed up. We messed up. And um, now you'll see, like, not only do we try to heal families, but you'll see we're talking about racism. Like, we, um, a lot of people don't know that in Pennsylvania... There's a law for victims that state, you know, if you played a part in your own demise, your family is not entitled to any assistance. That one particular law gives power to a perpetrator. It also devalues the victim's family because now the family pays for what society has said. This is what they did and they deserved it. So something like changing that law so that people don't operate out of that law. Small things... Um, is when we're when we're out in the community, inviting the community over. Sometimes places of worship, I see places of worship. They may be inside the community, but they don't really engage. And that if you're investing in the spirit of the human being, then the faith partners we've they've missed the boat. I'm I'm a faith leader. I've missed the boat somewhere. Whereas. We have allowed a spirit of negativity, a spirit of hatred, fester much stronger than the spirit of love. And we lost. And so now we're, I think, as a society, because we're seeing it straight across the board, and not only that, but you're seeing a population of young people, which you haven't seen in a long time, that are saying, stop, we all matter, like, stop and as those who have lived a little bit longer we need to hear them more we need to listen to the beat of their drum and since we've mastered living longer change the game playing field so they can live longer so that they can have something to leave it's something to live after we're gone because I sometimes get worried am I going to look at young African American boys and young men in a museum and will it say this once was a black society and this is what a young black man looked like if we don't stop? And we all have to take responsibility. Yeah, I. that's a good point. We need to... 
be more loving, have more faith in each other, and nurture the positive human spirit Mm -hmm. in everyone we can in our communities. Yeah, because I don't, I mean, look, Dr. Collins, do you believe, I don't believe that people, like you said, people, you have babies and young people, and they are so full of love, and then something happens. It's like the the world really, really embraced them the way the world is. And so that part that they experienced first, why why isn't that part more evident in our society? Why isn't we expressing that not only through our human services, through our law enforcement, through our politicians, through our faith base, you know, why isn't it? Why aren't we demanding that type of energy and that type of love to be much stronger than the other? It sounds very much as if the kinds of changes that Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. worked so hard for are still the kinds of changes that are needed. More social justice and more love and more faith. Yes. Because you'll see um, when people ask us some of our models, we speak, we speak hope and we teach resiliency. And that I think that when people stop hoping or dreaming or seeing life better, then they don't, they live in what they already are witnessing. And so how do we get them to see and live? And if they don't see it now, they can change it. They can, we, I really believe we can do it. But it takes all of us. And it takes, it takes more of all of us to do it, not only to recognize it, but to also make a conscious change. And so I, our, our, our agency is in the middle of northwest Philadelphia. And so... Um, even the small things that, um, like when I, we see people that are mentally ill that are walking around, not to make sure that they're okay, they can't be discarded. And so if you have the different things that's in a community and we all are taking a piece of it and we all are doing something better and changing it, could it be just like the pebble that we throw in the water that it just ricochets and it spreads out? Yeah, I believe it can be. I believe we can do it. This might be a good time. Might be a good time for me to ask, how can the people listening to this show support the work that the Emir Healing Center is doing? Oh, I'm so glad you asked. I would love people to get on our website. Um, Whether you send a donation or come and you want to do some volunteer work, please, please, Get on our website at E-M-I-R Philly, emirphilly.org, or you can call us at 215-848-4068. And we are located at 5213 Germantown Avenue in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, 19144. Please feel free to call because sometimes we would love to have some donations to assist us and we would love to have some time if you have that as well. Okay. Well, it certainly sounds as if the Amir Healing Center is doing some wonderful work and could use some support. Yes. Yes. Now, ask me anything else, Dr. Collins. 
I will ask you something else, but it'll be after okay, right? we, after we take a short break. Okay, thank you. News. Opinion. Your voice counts. Call toll-free 1-866-472-5787. 1-866-472-5787. VoiceAmerica.com. No one can tell you how much money you'll have or when you'll see your children, right? Wrong. It happens every day in divorce court. Don't let it happen to you. When dealing with separation, divorce, co-parenting, or care of an elderly relative, there is a better way. Mediation. Save time, save money, and save your children. To learn more, visit the Academy of Professional Family Mediators at apfmnet.org. That's apfmnet.org. Most adults are able to make good decisions about how their families can move forward. They do not need to rely on courts to make such decisions. Especially in cases of divorce, far too many people suffer unnecessary anguish because they do not know what family mediators can do. We help people discuss problems constructively in a private, confidential setting. We help them stop fighting and stay out of court. To learn more about mediation and other family matters, visit ColinFamilyMediationGroup.com. Colin has one L and no S. Are you struggling with emotional, financial, and legal stress related to divorce? The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia by Virginia Collin and Rebecca Martin teaches how to handle these processes in any state with special attention to Virginia's laws. This book can help you take care of yourself, get free legal advice, develop a good co-parenting plan, keep expenses down, and arrange a do-it-yourself divorce. The Guide to Low-Cost Divorce in Virginia is available from Amazon for just $4.99. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Family Matters. To reach Dr. Virginia Collin or today's guest, Please call into the program at 1-866-472-5788. That's 1-866-472-5788. You may also send an email to radio show at colinfamilymediationgroup.com. Now, back to Family Matters. Welcome back to Family Matters. I'm your host, Virginia Collin. My guest today is Shante Love from the Amir Healing Center in Philadelphia. You can find them online at emirphilly.org, E-M-I-R-P-H-I-L-L-Y.org. Shante, we've talked so far about the resources that the Healing Center has for people who've experienced the murder of a family member or perhaps even a close friend, and they come to the center for help in getting through a very, very hard time in their lives. I think you also do programs outside of the healing center. Could you tell me something about that? Yes, no problem. Um, 
the Mirror Healing Center, um, we were asked to go to a particular high school who had experienced five murders in one year of students. And uh, we were asked to bring our services to that particular community and population. And so we went into this school and we observed um, the pain, not only from the students, but also from their teachers. And so we, we, we said, listen, if we can do some workshops on grief and trauma, can we look at the, can we show you how to look at the trauma and also give you some ways of coping and not only have it to, uh, showing um, teachers um, what does it look like for students, but also can they do some magnificent, magnificent parts to help them, help students get through it, as well as take care of themselves. And so we went into this particular school and we did workshops with the teachers that were separate, and we went from class to class, and we, what we call, we rapped about it. We had a talk session about what does murder do, the experience of murder, but also how can we get them to um, see to see life again? And because this one school in one year had experienced it from five different students, can you imagine that basically was saying that every month a student was murdered in their school. So September there was a homicide. October there was a homicide. November there was a homicide. December there was a homicide. And it just went on and on and on. And so they went through grief and never quite got out of it. And so our workshops... Um, Help those, help the, not only the teachers, but it helped the students. And what we what we've recognized is that the young people are in more pain than we could imagine. That um, they see life, their eyes are very wide open, but they see so much devastation more than we have experienced in our lives. That they're walking around here with a lot of them that are being diagnosed with one thing. Most of them are experiencing PTSD. Is because they've seen it so much. They've seen the shootings. Um, they have had guns pulled on them. They've seen beatings, and so these workshops were designed to not only give them the tools to help them go through it, help the teachers debrief, but also to develop a structure and a system that they could sustain. So they could develop, they, they developed their own crisis response teams. They developed their own methods. This is what this school will do if this happens. This is how we will heal together. And because they hurt together, we taught them how that they can heal together. But also, some of them that might have had experience on risky behaviors, giving them some other tools or outlets to get out of it. So if you were in a lifestyle where you were selling drugs. I need to find a way for you to get out of that, which means I need to find another avenue for you in taking that on. And so we did that in a few high schools, but the first one was the most, most, most impactful one because those students were very open and they told us uh, most of their fears, but they also told us about our communities that we don't see. Because adults as adults, you know, we're busy going to work, we're coming in, we're doing that kind of hustle and bustle, but 
we don't see everything that they see just walking to school. Phenomenal piece of work that I say I'm. That's probably one of my proudest pieces of work that our agency has done and been able to do it over again, as well as to help other schools and other populations that happens to see that. So I remember reading probably in one of your brochures that untreated trauma perpetuates violence. So we're talking about teenagers who have witnessed and experienced a lot of traumatic events. And you've been able to help them talk about that trauma and bring it to the the surface and then make a plan for what to do to overcome that. Is that correct? Yes, yes, correct. And did the high school change? Yes, the high school changed. And also, do you know what the high school found out? Is that what we found out is that um, a lot of them were coping a lot using um, marijuana to get high. They were trying to numb themselves. And so not only talking about the grief, that you had to get the other resources in because you see what else is happening. Um, I think that they were they were completely changed. Um, do we have a lot of work to do? Absolutely in Philadelphia, because a lot of times you got the bureaucratic stuff that um, when there's something going wrong, no one wants to come in there. No one wants you to come in their house and say, "No, we don't want you to know that this is happening in our doors." And so, um, can we do it more? We would love to, but we also got to get through a lot of red tape. Um, but that body of work with those young people is that I think that I know that some of them that was expressing so much pain that they were could become violent, that we stopped a lot. Because I remember a young guy come knocking on our door, and because a lot of our, the young people we come in contact, they know that you can come here, you don't need to call. And he came knocking on the door, and he said, because they all call me sister, he said, Sister Shante, I'm about to hurt someone, and I needed to be here. And so we took them up. I take them upstairs. I say, well, you know the upstairs room where you can do some kickboxing, or so if you need to do something, you need to scream or pound on something. And once you do that, then let's talk it through. But can you understand that when you have someone that's able to say that I'm I'm going through this, and they're able to say I know where I can go and get some help if it's a little overwhelming then we've stopped something else that could have happened because he was so devastated that his cousin was murdered and he said, no one's doing anything. And he said, and the neighborhood told me who did it. He was ready to go after this person. And so that type of being able to do that, um, it, it still makes it still makes me feel good about what we do. It still tells me until there's no more violence here that we will be doing this until we can teach people how to love a little bit longer, a little bit more, and and treating their trauma so we can prevent violence. That's really a wonderful example that you got. You got. This boy knew that the healing center was available, that there were people who would help him redirect his angry energy and not not 
murder somebody else and perpetuate the cycle. Mm-hmm. And so when you have that, sometimes they need, you know, they need their pain needs to be validated. Mm-hmm. But like you said, how do we re- redirect that energy? And how do I get you to to say, okay, well, let's let's do something that would promote your love for your cousin. And so, um, and, and they picked the, they picked stuff that people would never realize. Like he picked his cousin was um, loved football, and so his his part that he wanted to do that he took his summer job and he helped a, a young guy who I think must have been in middle school who wanted to do football and he paid for his football uniform and so. That that made him feel a part that he he gave back. So his cousin was murdered. Um, his cousin loved sports. And he he took another young kid and said, "You know what? I'm gonna help you do something you like, like my cousin liked." Um, and that's, that's what wonderful. I mean. You when when you can take that pain and turn it to some some form of power, and you can turn it around. That's really wonderful. Thank you. I'm remembering now something your mom said about the Emir Healing Center, that this is a place where people don't judge you. Yes. This is a place where even if right now you feel like killing somebody, right. you can come tell us about it and we won't judge you. Right. And do you know how safe that that is for someone? Because... Uh, if you feel like that, you need to be able to say, if you're angry with God, you know how people say, don't say that about God. Here you can say, God, I'm mad as hell. <laughs> and because he can handle it. God can handle it. Mm-hmm. God can handle it. And so to say the things that you need to say that um, and you need to scream, kick, um, or sometimes you just need to be in a quiet place because the noise of the gunshots is too much, and sometimes you need a quiet place. Um, here is where you could express loudness, but it's also here where you can get that quiet moment to tune out some things, and so where you can meditate. And so the young people come and do all those things. They do meditation, tai chi, all kinds of stuff here. That's great. How big is this building? Well, it's an um, old historic building. It's an old historic. It used to be a parish house, and so um, it's 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 not as it's pretty large for some people to say. But guess what's amazing? What's an amazing thing is that we're going to gather our families up who've experienced this, as well as people who are interested in this work, and we're going to look for a building and we're going to design it around their ideas and because um, we rent this space. But to find a permanent home where there's a center that we can promote peace as well as healing from pain. And we're going to be asking everyone to get involved because um, healing a family is, you got to heal a community, you have to heal a family, and sometimes you need to have the right place for them to go. So the next place where we're going to be, we're, mo- we're going to be relocating and looking at a building, um, the young people have made it really clear that uh, it has to have certain things. We have great things here, but 
they also need some more. And so we would love people to partner up with us um, to look at a new sanctuary that we I call it a new safe place where um, we can we can do this work that we do. So it's 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 not a small place here, and it's sad to say that we have to grow. It's we have to be larger because of the, and so many people, and that um, that's a good place. It's going to be a good project. If you're just interested in saying, listen, I want to be a part of something that's going to be game-changing for a community and um, for you to contact us again, call call us. Call us at 215-848-4068 or you can get online at emirphilly.org, emirphilly.org. And you can even ask for me, ask for Shante. If you don't remember that, my last name's Love. And you know, look at look at what we do. Be be involved, and because this 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 pain of loss and this pain of violence, this pain of racism is going to take a whole community across the board to get involved, and it's going to take all of us to help change in all our expertise. Well, I really appreciate your telling us about this today. I know that. I don't live in the inner city. I don't live in a neighborhood where most of the people are African-American. And sometimes people like me wonder, what can I do that would help? How could the society needs to change? The racism should go away. What can we do to help? So now you've given us something very concrete. We can really understand the work that you do and we can support it. I think we are out of time. I want to say thank you again to Shantae Love from the Amir Healing Center in Philadelphia, online at amirphilly.org. And thank you, Dr. Collin. Thank you so very much that we're experiencing this time. You're welcome. Thank you for joining us this week on Family Matters. Please tune in for another edition featuring host Dr. Virginia Collin next Tuesday at 3 p.m. Pacific Time, 6 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Be kind, heal, and grow.